The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to the Data Reaper podcast, episode 28. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined by this year's newest sensation in the romance author field, Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? Doing okay. Happy New Year. It's it's January 1st. I've been awake in the new year for yep. 20 minutes. It's been uh, been good so far. Hopefully better than 2020. Yeah, the report was interesting this week. I, I liked your intro. It was interesting because uh, um, I had to make it a little bit interesting. It reminds me of the tales of Thrall and Garrosh. Uh, it was more about this uh, catching people off guard rather than creating a a story. But yeah, so... You know, because there aren't a lot of news meta-wise that are significant. Uh, we will go over them. We will power through them, let's say. Make this as painless as possible. Because... Current meta is kind of crappy, hat. There are, I would say, I would say, uh, classes are viable. Other classes are, are viable. Like it's not like you have the situation where multiple classes just are not relevant, or you cannot queue them into ladder and have success with them. It's just that there's there are two classes that are just clearly better than the rest, which makes you wonder. Like, why would I ever queue other classes, right? Like, that's the problem. We have a power level problem. Uh, and the meta is not really able to correct that out, like without outside interference. So, that's the situation. And we'll go over it. And we'll explain why the this is the way it is. Yep. So, our next report is currently planned for uh thursday the 7th we would love for that to not be the right date because we would love for there to be nerfs before then but we don't know yeah, anything i'm for really sure. I, i'm honestly honestly had i'm really hoping that i'm not gonna have to write another report about this meta like i'm really hoping because you know i do this every week and i don't complain but like there are rare moments where it's actually getting boring and for me this week doing the report actually got boring because you know the results speak for themselves uh so i'm hoping that we see some balance changes next week i'm not super optimistic about it because i'm considering the fact that uh, team five will just be getting back from holidays and i'm not sure they're able to like agree or like obviously they could be in communications even through holidays through emails and such i mean they're they're working away from office anyway because of the covid situation um question is whether you're able to execute a patch uh on that week i'm not sure they had something planned so i'm hoping but i'm not super optimistic about it we would like to see them but if not then the report will be on the seventh, I I'm sure they have discussed something. I don't know how long the implementation will take or how much work they've been doing. So you know, quote unquote, off the clock. 
Um, but we're all hopeful for a little bit of shakeup. But let's get into the classes. And to the surprise of no one, the first class is Shaman. Uh, I like the deck name that you picked this week, Zach. Uh, it, the the deck we just call it on the site Broken Evolve Shaman, um, and it's pretty broken. It's it's just yeah, it's just pretty broken. I mean, this list, this list that we have featured in the report. I think Gabby hit number one legend with it. Sounds like something um, he would do. Yeah, it ended up being card for card the same. Like the thing is about Gabby is that he he hits number one legend with whatever. So like every deck is a number one legend deck by Gabby, so it's uh it's very hard to keep you know keep up with that. Um, so yeah, but it ended up being card for card what he ended up hitting with, though we came up with this deck list independently. But you know we got a lot of data for it um, because of that. Uh, the news is like. Evolve Shaman at this point, tier S deck, right? We we it's not really a deck that's stoppable by conventional means. So in a top legend or high levels of play, it gets worse and worse in terms of uh the prevalence. I think prevalence of Evolve Shaman actually peaks at Diamond four four to one. Then it relaxes a little bit at legend and rises again at top legend. Um so the situation is that Evolve Shaman needs to worry about the mirror, and it needs to worry about sticky fingers. Uh, so what does it need to do in order to uh, fine-tune its list in order to get the best out of it, out of the list, is the, the first thing is to run Revolve. Revolve is a card that's in normal circumstances, is not very good in this deck. However, it's good uh, in the situation where sticky finger is very prevalent. Uh, because it allows you to, um, you know, produce boards, produce evolved boards, without the need for the weapon. Like you can, you can be a bit more independent of the weapon. The weapon is still going to be very important, but revolve gives you some way to make use of your derailed coaster, of your desert here, and it's also a good play. Desert here revolve is a strong play against Cobalt Sticky Finger decks like Control Warlock because um, they anticipate the weapon on turn 5 and they keep Sticky Finger in the mulligan in order to steal that. But then if you play Hair Revolve on 4, then there's a high likelihood that they're just caught off guard. They just died at that, right? Because they, they keep the Sticky Finger, but they're not necessarily prioritizing removal. Um... Uh, in the early game, because Evolve Shaman is a deck that generally doesn't develop intimidating threats in the early game. So that's one thing that you can do in order to adjust to the Sticky Finger meta. The other way to adjust to the Sticky Finger meta is to run Sticky Finger yourself. You know, we we talked about it last <sighs> week. Sticky Sticky Finger is not a card that's supposed to be in a deck that runs Horde Pillager. Because what the hell are you doing? You're not. You never want to steal a different weapon other than Bog Spine Knuckles, in this deck. But turns out that that application is good enough for the card to, to be good in a deck. And you know, there was some point where I looked at the numbers, and I, you know, I did the analysis of whether Sticky Finger should be in this deck, and the moment I realized that the answer is yes, like, I mentally checked out. <laughs> like, it's okay, 
Ugh. Like this is this is the point where this this is really stupid. Uh, well, it turns out Sticky Finger is good. The reason why it's good, obviously, it's insane in the mirror, right? Because you're denying your opponent's pillagers while gaining a charge over your opponent. You're you're getting a box pineapple charge, or and, and your opponent loses one. So that's massive. That's a net gain of two over your opponent. It's like ste- stealing a whole uh, weapon, right? Essentially, because you're taking away a charge from your opponent with a deck that is reliant on that synergy. That's one thing. The other thing is, you know, there's often plays where you play box pineapples and you want to hold it. It's not always that you have a Dread Corsair to play. Sometimes against slower opponents, you want to just equip the box pine and hold it. And often when your opponent sticky fingers that, and I've done that a lot as a Warlock player, they just concede, like the game is over. They stole two of your charges. But actually, when you run Sticky Finger yourself and you have it in your hand, you can afford to do that. Your opponent will steal it, waste the first charge, but you can steal your box by Knuckles back, use the second charge. The most important thing is that you break the box by Knuckles, which means your pillagers are now online. So that's a way to kind of uh, one-up the sticky finger decks. I don't I, feel so good, Zach. This is fingerception. It's fingerception hat. We're fingering <sighs> the fingers. It, it's, so, so like the reason sticky finger is good in shaman is because the two most likely situations you're going to face against weapons are the mirror match and other sticky fingers. That is why it's yes. good. Ugh. That is why you play it. That is why you play it. Now, in other matchups, you don't want to, like, against Warrior, you don't want to steal, like, a a weapon from, like, Sword Eater weapon, right? No. So what you do with it, like, you just play it as a random six. Like, you just put it on the board when you have a box spine, you swing with it, and you make a, a random six drop. Now, obviously, uh, a, a random six drop for five mana is not particularly good, but it's not that horrible to the point where the upside that you get in the finger matchups and in the mirror are like massive. So they can be massive, especially in the mirror, obviously. So Sticky Finger is actually a good card in Evolve Shaman. And this is the point where, yeah, we need nerfs because this is just stupid. Like, it's stupid. We're playing a Pillager deck and Sticky Finger is good in it. It's just stupid. So, um, yeah. Uh, other Shaman decks don't really... They're not there. You know, I get asked questions with Agro Shaman and Doomhammer. And we saw last week that Agro Shaman, like, based on its low sample size, is a is a powerful deck. It seems to be a powerful deck. Um, but it's just not seeing much play. And we cannot really say how good it is when it sees, uh, when its play rate is that low. But it's probably a bit of a sleeper uh, that doesn't really get recognition or attention because of how busted Evolve Shaman is. But it is a good Shaman deck, probably. And if you can take it to ladder, you're probably going to do fine with it. And you shouldn't be too scared about Doomhammers being fingered, because when you have early game, Agro Shaman actually have has early game and a lot of burn. Uh, stealing your Doomhammer may not always work like for your opponents. Like, they're going to steal the Doomhammer, but they're go- still going to die. So, that's Shaman. Uh, if you want to do, uh, like, if you want to play on the easiest difficulty on ladder, you just play Evolve Shaman. The deck is ridiculously powerful. 
and it always does the same thing. It has random board generation, which is I think is the worst kind of randomness in the game. And I I generally dislike this mechanic for that reason. Um, but it's very consistent in what it does. It always does pretty much the same thing every game, uh, which kind of makes it boring for me. Like it's it's not super interesting to play against a Volshaman constantly because they always do the same thing and it's always the same experience. A lot of it is because of studying, right? They always have the weapon and a Dread Corsair on five. Feels like they have it like ninety nine percent of the time, and they always after that turn six it's always like a hair play with a Mogu, and turn seven it's a Pillager. It feels like they always play the same way every game. Makes it extremely consistent. And when it does powerful things and they're consistent, then the deck is just consistently powerful. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a deck with a backup plan, but it never feels like a deck that needs one. And I will say my experience is slightly different than yours. They don't always have the Dread Corsair. They always have the Lightning Bloom. Oh, that is also that is also one of the ways where they can circumvent a finger, right? Yeah, they just they get the weapon on turn three. Yeah, they get the weapon on turn three. It breaks on turn four. Your finger did nothing. And they always have the coin and coin out the hair. Yeah, like, it's just, like, when they do that, then, you know, your finger is ineffective, which is kind of the reason why, um, you know, even though Sticky Finger has become quite prevalent on ladder, it hasn't really hurt the deck's win rate as much as it, you know, as much as you, you think. Uh, this is not a bomb warrior deck that yeah. just cannot do anything if it gets its wrench caliber stolen, right? This is a deck that's still able to execute powerful plays that circumvent um, getting its weapons stolen. And now it plays Sticky Finger too, so... Yeah, yeah. the top two decks in the meta have remained the top two decks in the meta despite being specifically targeted. So, you know, like, you can't really target Rogue, we'll talk about that in a second, but despite a large portion of people running hard tech cards for Shaman being clearly aware that it is public enemy number one, it is still one of the highest win rate decks in the meta. Um, and that is yeah. also... A normal, a normal tier one deck, a normal tier one deck, if it got targeted this hard, would get butchered. It w Its win rate would definitely drop to like tier two level. We would definitely see some movement, but here we see no movement. We see Evolve Shaman, its win rate is declining. It's definitely declining. But considering the prevalence that it displays right now, where it's like 24% at top legend, nearly a quarter, and its win rate is still high, it's just, it's just way too much. So the deck is super busted. Also, like when you look at its matchup spread, like it's still green across the board, except for like one matchup, Demon Hunter. That's it. So, like, there is no deck solution uh, to Evolve Shem. It's all about, like, tech cards. And, you know, it's not particularly fun to have a meta that is based on, on tech cards. Like, even if it was balanced, even if, if things were balanced, like, the prevalence of Sticky Finger, Sticky Finger is not a card that you want to see every game. Like, it's not particularly healthy. I'm I'm certain the team is aware of it, um, but we should talk about the next class, which is also quite broken. Talk about Rogue, Miracle Rogue in particular. Yeah, so the thing to keep in mind with Rogue 
is that honestly, like the secret variant is dropping in play. It's definitely declining. If we could separate the combo variant with the from the secret variant in Miracle Rogue, we would probably see that the combo variant is close in its power level to Evolve Shaman. It's it's neck and neck. It's right there, up there with it. Uh, the secret variant is declining because it's not good in against Evolve Shaman. Uh, so it it does weigh down the archetype a little bit. So Miracle Rogue is actually better than it looks uh, if you build it optimally. Uh, and the deck is also equally dangerous. And and the thing about Rogue is, uh, as you said earlier, it's not really you cannot really target it. Like you can run a Silence against Edwin. But that doesn't stop the deck from from doing its thing. Um, it's just extremely powerful. It has like a curve, as I, you know. I said that last week. You have a curve that tops out pretty much at three mana, besides Jandis, and the deck has can go on forever. The deck can outvalue control decks. It has you know you run tempo cards like Brain Freeze. Like Prize Plunderer. These are not value cards. But what Wellkick Master does is that it turns them into value cards. Uh, and, and that's the amazing synergy that this build possesses. And this is why it's so flexible and just so good against pretty much everything. So Miracle Rogue is very powerful. Also, um, its cards don't really cost mana. It's yeah. You get to cheat such a crazy amount of mana. This is... Like, Rogue's my favorite class. This is by far the deck I've played the most of. And Prize Plunder is a silly card that it is somehow removal that scales with Shadow Step, which feels like a mistake and also feels like Shadow Step is not going to be in the, in the new rework class like that. But when I've tried to switch off of Rogue and play other decks, it feels like playing with one hand tied behind my back. It's just Rogue is so, so powerful. And you can do whatever you want on your turns. You can Secret Passage on turn four or even turn three with the coin. And then just play all the cards you find and some of the cards you draw and generate mage spells to deal with whatever threat that your opponent is do is doing or just kill them. It does. And gain tempo. Of... That's the thing. Yeah. The thing is that Rogue has such huge generation, yet it doesn't really pay a price for it in tempo. Like, it doesn't fall no. behind ever. It feels like it always, it always manages to get ahead. Um, and again, the only deck that can consistently challenge it is Evolve Shaman because it cheats um, also an absurd amount of mana. Um, yeah, so Miracle Rogue, very, very good. It's the other deck that you want to, if you want to play on an easier difficulty on ladder, you just queue up Rogue, um, specifically the Will Kick build. Um, other Rogue decks don't see much play, but they're probably, like Agro Rogue is probably very good. Uh, I'm not sure how good it is compared to Miracle Rogue, but it might be very close. It's just that, you know, Miracle is so good, so Agro Rogue just doesn't see much play. Like, So we can't really evaluate how good it can be, but it's definitely up there um, in terms of performance, and it's a way, perhaps, to do even better in the Shaman matchup. Because if you run like things like, um, you know, Hooked Scimitar and just smash them in the face... Or even play like Wriggling War. You can pressure them earlier and get ahead of them. And, and that's pretty much how you beat um, Shaman right now. So Agarog could be good. Just we, it's hard for us to tell. Yeah, that's been, I think, the deck that we've gotten the most questions about on the Twitter and in the Discord. That and Agro Shaman. 
and people just aren't playing it enough for us to have an informed answer. Um, anecdotally, as I've said in the show a couple times, I am playing a lower curve uh, Miracle Rogue right now that's trying out Hook Scimitar, Wriggling Horror, Defias, Ringleader, and it feels like it's more favored in the Shaman matchup. That that kind of build that kind of build definitely beats Shaman. Yeah, but it gives up a lot against Warrior. A lot against Warrior. Yeah, gives up a lot. Yeah, yeah, because you don't want. Yeah, absolutely. So there's definitely a sacrifice. Like if you play against removal heavy decks, then these cards are going to be worse. But um, Rogue is definitely flexible. It's just that it, Miracle Rogue, the current build works so well that there's just no there's no sense of needing to change it. And that's kind of when you have these decks that are like tier S or close to tier S, then they kind of overshadow everything else in the class. And they yeah. cause like decks that would otherwise be good, right? Playable, good, competitive. They're just not played because there's something that just so powerful right now and it's right in front of you. So why would you even try something else? So that's the situation with both Shaman and Rogue and why you see these dominant two decks and then like there's just scraps of other archetypes. You don't see much of them. Yeah, it inhibits experimentation a lot just because there's there's not really a reason to vary when these formulas are so tried and true and do not have effective counters. Um, yeah, there's no incentive. When you have bad classes, in bad classes there are, there's more experimentation because people are trying to make these bad classes work. So you see a more fractured class. Usually bad classes are more fractured in terms of archetypes uh, because people are just trying out all sorts of things. That's what we, we identify. But when a class clearly works and works in such a dramatically strong manner, then the other archetypes are going to fall to the wayside. Even if they're good, they could be good. It's just we can never tell. So we'll see what happens. Maybe if Shaman and Rogue get nerfed, the primary archetypes um, get hit with some nerf, then people will try to see to play more decks from these classes that aren't the primary archetype. So we'll see. Yep. And uh, I can say from personal experience that this next class, Warrior, I have seen quite a bit more um, on the ladder in the past week. And it looks like there's, I wouldn't call it innovation in the archetype, but people are definitely trying different things in terms of seeing what could solve the meta, um, or at least make a dent? I don't, know. I don't know if it's innovation, because I think that the archetypes themselves are pretty much settled. I think Control Warrior, at this point, know what it wants to do. Um, yeah. It's very good against... It's probably the best deck if you want to specifically beat both Miracle Rogue and, Sh and Evolve Shaman. I think its optimal build goes has an advantage against in both of these matchups. Uh, which is why we called it a meta breaker last week. The problem is it's not really a meta breaker because its matchup spread against other classes is a lot weaker. So you see Warrior generally doing far better and it's more popular, like Top Legend, where Rogue and Shaman are nearly 50% of the meta. And it does worse outside of that because, you know, when you run into Priests and you run into Druid, then suddenly um, another jank. Uh, then suddenly Warrior Sun uh, struggles uh, against more, the more fringe classes. So Control Warrior, whether you run ETC or Silas, we had this discussion before, it's the deck to play if you want to beat those two classes. But if you run into a lot of other things, and if you're running into a more diverse meta, you're going to have more problems. It's a similar thing with Enrage Warrior, where it's like 
you can make the deck better in the other matchups by running the ETC combo. Like against Warlock or like Priest, you'd rather have the ability to just OTK them, right? You'd rather just go 3-0 to zero with the ETC combo. But the ETC combo, running that over the, you know, Shield of Honor and the Kokron and the Grom makes you worse against Shaman and Rogue. Actually makes you... So why would you do that, right? So, it's, so a lot of people are playing the ETC combo, but it makes you weaker in the in the matchups that like you play in Rage Warrior for, right? You play in Rage Warrior because you want to do well against Rogue and Shaman. And then the win condition affects these matchups pretty, pretty significantly. And if you run the ETC combo, you're worse. Now, this could be hedging. Like, you're running the ETC combo so that if you... Don't run if you run into the other matchups. You still have a better chance against like Druid, right? Because in, against a wall of clowns, Krogkron is never getting there. But an ETC combo maybe can do something. Um, so that's kind of the reasoning. Uh, the, the the better build is still the Krogkron build. But if you're running into a lot of other matchups, if you're playing at lower ranks, maybe the ETC combo has more justification. It's just that in Rage War, it's more of this top legend deck that people mostly from that bracket playing Rage Warrior. So if you're doing that and you run into you're gonna run into a lot of champions rogue, might as well uh, run the build that's better in that matchup. And then we have Bomb Warrior. Bomb Warrior's build has been long established. And yeah. Bomb Warrior is a deck that even though Sticky Finger is quite prevalent and Sticky Finger does kill like hurt that deck a lot more, it's Warrior is still good. And you know, this deck is ter terrifies me hat. Like because if we nerf Shaman and Rogue, we're going to keep banging on about it. Because I guarantee you, if, if Bomb Warrior is not nerfed in the next patch, even though it's not prevalent, even though it's not popular, if Bomb Warrior is not nerfed, we're going to talk about this deck to death in like three, four weeks. And I'm, I really fear that scenario. We're going to have to talk a lot about Bomb Warrior. Because if it's good right now, when it loses so badly... To the top deck in the game, like what's gonna happen? Like, just look at its matchup spread. It's disgusting. Just take out the Shaman box. Ignore that for a second. Look at the rest of its matchup spread. Bomb Warrior is disgusting, hat. Uh, and I, I fear that it might become too powerful in the event of uh, Shaman and Rogue nerfs. So Warrior is diverse, uh, more definitely more diverse than Rogue and Shaman. It's good. It's just I would say it's the third best class uh, in the game. Uh, but it's, I think it's a level below because of its other vulnerabilities that Rogue and Shaman don't really display, right? Because Rogue and Shaman stomp everything. And Warrior struggles against the janky things, actually. Yeah, and Rage Warrior is the deck that I have seen the biggest increase in personally, anecdotally. Um, there's been a, a large jump in it over the last week where uh, it's a much more common as an opponent. And I will say... When I've been playing Rogue, it feels like one of the harder matchups. Like, it does feel like the closest thing to a counter that I've faced. Yeah, definitely has game in bo against both Rogue and Shaman, especially if you run Shield of Honor as a specifically good card against Rogue. It's super good, yeah. Um, and, you know, with the shift away from the secret build, it, it's definitely a thing. But uh, Paladin is, is difficult. Um, and every so often, Shaman just has the nuts, and your evolves don't matter. And sometimes the the rogue has the Edwin, and the warrior does not have Lord Barov, which is really like Lord Barov is is one of the cards that I think has been keeping warrior relevant all this time. That card's pretty powerful. 
yeah, Barov's absurd. Yeah, he's, um, he's that's pretty for sure. stupid. Yep. Um, so this meta reminds me a little bit of Ashes in a way where almost Shaman is the Demon Hunter and Rogue is the Enrage Warrior, and then Galakron Warlock is Galakron Warlock. Yeah, um, Warlock is quite good. Um, what? Right now. What? Warlock is quite good right now. Do I have to edit it's... that out? Is that a mistake or no? It's actually good. <laughs> yeah, um, both Zoo and Galakron Warlock are showing good results. Um, Zoo is honestly really underrated right now. Uh, I think people are not interested in playing Zoo mostly because it loses to Rogue. Especially the the combo build, right? You don't want to run into uh, the combo build as a Zoo Warlock. It's pretty terrible because they have so such efficient removal. I tried uh, Zoo. But... I tried Zoo, and let me tell you, playing against Prize Plunderer, no fun. That is not a fun situation. Y- yeah, it's really not fun. And but against Shaman, Zoo actually does fine. Uh, that matchup is very close. Um, you definitely don't lose to Shaman if you play the build that we have in the report. Even if you don't run Rascal, um, you're pretty effective against Shaman. And it's also good against other things. So I think Zoo Warlock's matchup spread is, is fine. And it, it's a good deck. Galakron Warlock is also a pretty decent deck. Its win rate is really picking up. Um, thanks to the double sticky uh, build. The, the double sticky build actually gives you a close matchup against Shaman. You're slightly favored against Evolve Shaman, if you run double Sticky Finger, like, just think about how stupid that is. A yep. deck with insane removal, right? With Plego Flames and Cascading Disaster and School Spirits and Dark whatever. Every removal in the game that's available. There's probably not a deck that has better removal than Galakrond Warlock. And you run double Sticky Finger, and you're slightly favored against Evolve Shaman if you do that. So... Uh yeah, so Galcon Warlock definitely has game has even game against Rogue. The Rogue matchup is not like a lost cause. I think it's slightly unfavored. Um, if you if you take the build that we have in the report on, on uh, to ladder, and then you you just roll over things like Priest and you do pretty well against your the rest of the matchups are pretty good. Ticketus is a really good win condition against things like Highlander Mage and. Highlander Priest, you know, all these control decks try to pack removal and try to beat Shaman, um, then you have the edge over them, right? I think I think Galakrond Warlock is the best Sticky Finger deck in the meta in the sense that its game plan, because of the amount of removal that it has, it's able to support two bad cards, right? So yeah. uh, it's, it's, it's pretty good. I, I really like the build. That we have in the report. The Owl is also works pretty well against Warrior. It's very important against Warrior. Because it just takes care of Rattlegore. And it also is another answer to Edwin. Which is big. Which is important. Um, so having a silence in that matchup is pretty effective. Also works against Questing Adventure obviously. That's pretty much the way that Rogue gets you. So you have an extra answer to that. Yeah the rise of the rise of Rogue is definitely... Pushed people towards playing Owl over Silas Darkmoon. Um, and in this deck in particular, there's an interaction, I think we can call it a bug, where if you Silas and give it away, you give away the 4-4, it doesn't corrupt Ticketus for some reason. 
Uh, so we're that's it's definitely consideration to run Owl over Silas because sometimes you really want your seven drop to corrupt Ticketus, and if Silas is your only minion, you give it away, it won't do that. Silence is not particularly great. We actually looked into Silence in this specific archetype, and Silence is not particularly great because you don't have a lot of like you don't have that much uh, small garbage like that. The, like the imps that you can generate off of Galakron only works post Galakron, right? So Silence on seven is rarely that good. Like you never want to give away the four four. You you always want to give up junk. Um, so. Like a class like Paladin, always has some some hero power to give away. In Warlock, it's a little bit more situational. Also, Siamat is a pretty decent card, so it's not desperate for Ticketus activators. It can also run like Twisting Nether. So, Silas is not a particularly good play on turn seven, uh, so it's not a particularly good activator for Ticketus. Um, that's the reason why it's not in the deck. So yeah, Owl makes a lot more sense. And. That's Warlock. It's, once again, in a, in a warped meta, Galakrond Warlock with a bunch of tech cards does okay. And this next class, I heard it was nerfed. It's boosted by Warlock. I heard yeah. it was nerfed, but it's actually pretty good against Warlock. It's this Demon Hunter class. Yeah, yeah. So here's the thing about Demon Hunter. Um, so there are two phenomena that we can see with Demon Hunter. Uh, and why it's improving at its win rate. Uh, Soul Demon Hunter and Aggro Demon Hunter looked pretty underwhelming last week, and now they spucked in the win rate. Soul Demon Hunter in particular uh, looks really good. At Top Legend right now, it's like really close to being a Tier 1 deck again, which is crazy at Legend. Um, it's a little bit worse outside of it, but at Legend, I mean, it's just nearing the Tier 1 spot. I wouldn't be surprised if it, if it gets there. Uh, but the reason why this is happening is because Demon Hunter has declined, right? Because it's not doing as well as it did before. So you start seeing decks that lose to Demon Hunter rise and play. And the one that, you, you know, the most dramatic one is Galakron Warlock. So you see a lot of Warlocks all of a sudden. And we know that Demon Hunter, every single one of its archetypes, stomps Warlock. And the reason why Warlock was dead before the patch, is because Demon Hunter was so dominant. So suddenly you see Warlocks, and suddenly the matchup spread for Demon Hunter got so much better, because you have like these these Warlocks uh, running around, and uh, the win rate just spiked. It's not because of card choices, it's not because people changed the builds of the De Soul Demon Hunter, it's not because people changed the build of the Aggro Demon Hunter, those builds are nearly unchanged. Like, the Soul Demon Hunter is completely unchanged, and Aggro Demon Hunter started to play a little bit more Mana Burn than it did before. That's it. But because the matchup spread became more favorable, then these decks are recovering. And Demon Hunter looks fine. Looks very competitive, very strong right now. Obviously, the problem with Soul Demon Hunter right now is the matchup against Rogue and Shaman is not as good as it used to be, obviously. But the deck is definitely fine. If you run into a lot of Warlocks, then Demon Hunter is the best answer for them. Um, and yeah, you know, honestly, if they nerf Shaman and Rogue, I wouldn't be surprised if Demon Hunter was tier one again. It's, it's crazy, but, um, the deck is quite good right now. Um, and it could be even more powerful. Aggro Demon Hunter tanks at high levels of play. It's very dramatic. It's far better outside of Legend than at Legend itself. The reason is not because of skill or whatever. It's just because there are more rogues. Like if you look at Rogue's presence on ladder, 
the more rogues you see, the, the higher you climb ladder, the more rogues you see. And it peaks at top legend. And combo Miracle Rogue, just like it dumpsters Zoo Warlock, it also dumpsters Aggro Demon Hunter at this point. Like, it's a 35 matchup. It's, like, pretty horrible at this point with the Aggro Demon Hunter. So you just get wrecked. And if you see a lot of them, you get wrecked a lot. So top legend, I wouldn't recommend running Aggro Demon Hunter, even though it's good against Shaman. It's even worse. Like the 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 gains you make in the shaman matchup do not make up for the losses that you incur against uh, combo miracle rogue. Not to mention, we just talked about the rise of enrage warrior, and let me tell you that matchup has not improved since ashes. Yeah, a warrior is still tough. So even though you beat evolve shaman, you have difficulty against two very um, dominant, prevalent classes uh, at high levels of play in rogue and warrior. So, Aggro Demon Hunter is not that good there. Lifesteal Demon Hunter sees, still sees quite a bit of play at Top Legend, but it's not really producing the results that, you know, people are hyping it out of control. Like, But I think the hype is kind of dying out. We're seeing this deck decline. It's not, its matchup spread is just not there, especially when Aggro Demon Hunter is this, you know, is not very good at the ranks where Lifesteal Demon Hunter gets played in. So, I think Demon Hunter is in a fine spot. And as I said, it might become even better like after the balance changes. Um, so I think the balance changes, like by nerfing Mystic and Blade Dance, uh, it was actually correct to nerf both. Uh, it looks correct right now, based on what's happening. Well, and yeah, looking looking at the gold app here, uh, Soul Demon Hunter over Galakrond Warlock might be the most lopsided matchup in the current standard. It's pretty devastating for the warlock i think there is one that's more lopsided and that's when we we get to it in the next class i will i will say galaka warlock is a pretty polarizing deck yeah it has some of the worst matchups and some of the best matchups some of the worst matchups are matchups against demon hunter you, you look at its matchup against lifesteal demon hunter it's also really bad uh, but its matchup against highlander priest is what's keeping highlander priest from being um, a really strong deck right now. Uh, it, honestly, Highlander Priest was would have been tier two plus if Galakorn Warlock was this successful because that matchup is something like twenty five to seventy five. It's horrible for the priest, and the reason why Highlander Priest is doing so well at high levels of play is because you know it can it can force a fifty fifty matchup against Evolve Shaman. It can force a fifty fifty matchup against Rogue. It beats Warrior, and Elusia takes care of the Lifesteal Demon Hunters. So suddenly you have this, if, if you run into the same meta over and over again at Top Legend, then Highlander Priest can do work. Again, the problem is, you're going to run into Galakorn Warlocks too. And that's like a free loss almost. So that really takes away uh, the advantages that Highlander Priest seems to possess. In this very narrow meta, and obviously Priest is like unplayable outside of top legend, because once there aren't a lot of rogues and there are a lot of other things, like suddenly you see a bunch of druids and janky um, late game strategies like uh, Highlander Mage. Yeah, like you see all sorts of other things, you know Highlander Mage playing Cthune. <laughs> um, so suddenly that becomes more of a problem uh, when you run into other things. Yeah, the matchup against Mage is horrible. Priest is mainly successful because it can keep running into the same things 
And if it does that, it does okay. And once it runs into things that it doesn't expect or it doesn't want to target, then it just dumpsters. So I wouldn't recommend it for most players. Yeah. This meta has three choices. You can play the two decks that kind of beat everything. You can play narrow decks that are designed to counter one or two of those things. Or you can play bad decks. Those are kind of your choices. Yep, pretty much, I would say. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more complicated than that, but not much. Um, yeah, so Priest is pretty much a Highlander Priest at this point. Uh, people are running Control Priest builds with like Bloodweaver and stuff, but that's a complete waste of time. That deck is trashed here. It's just absolute garbage and a waste of time. So I think that, you know... You're going to see it, you kind of notice in this report, but Zephyrus is helping bail out a lot of classes right now. Because Zephyrus is this X factor, this answer to that that big evolved board that you cannot deal with, or that that rogue cheese. Like It gives you some out that you normally don't have, and because it's such a consistent and versatile card. So Zephyrus is helping a lot of these classes that would probably be dead otherwise. Helping them be viable. Now, the fact that Hallander decks are the ones that are saving the viability of these classes is not a particular event that I'm enjoying or liking. No, it's fine, Zach. If they get good, just counter them with Bomb War here. No, it, it's the thing is that, you know, like these classes are just pushed to the brink. And they're at this point of desperation where they would rather play an inconsistent deck with a high-variance, inconsistent Highlander deck just to have these bailout answers because of Zephyrus. So that's kind of indicative of the situation. And yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And the only class that... Another class that's not reliant on like Highlander archetype to bail out is like Paladin. So Paladin, it's kind of a similar thing where, you know, Paladin is successful where Rogue is less successful or prevalent. The higher you climb ladder, the more rogues you see. So Paladin becomes weaker, especially pure Paladin. Libran Paladin still can get the job done. I think we had uh, we had a couple of adjustments to the finger Libran Paladin build. Uh, we took out the Owl. Um, it wasn't helping enough, especially in the Warrior matchup. The Warrior matchup, like there's another way of winning that matchup for Paladin like Warlock, which is just pressuring. Uh, so Braggarts can get the job done there as well. So we brought back Braggart. We noticed that Salhad's Pride is quite weak if you don't have additional uh, standalone cards that are good with it. It's possible that Novice Engineer is better than Braggart. We, it's hard to tell uh, with the data that we currently have. Uh, but the build that we have in the report is pretty good. Again, double Sticky Finger. Very important. What you do in the Shaman matchup is... The Paladin doesn't have removal, great removal in the early game, but it can get ahead in the early game. You've got Elder Attendant, you've got the Hand of Odal, you've got the first day of school. So you get ahead and you value trade whatever Shaman has on the board. Like You just value trade it away. You get ahead on the board, and then when you, they play uh, Bog Spine on 5, usually when they're slightly behind, then your Sticky Finger can really make an impact. Um, obviously, the Rogue, is rogue matchup is going to be a bigger problem. Even if you run Braggarts, uh, like, I don't know, a lot of people are obsessed with Braggart being a good answer to Rogue. I mean, it's okay against Rogue, but it's really, really overrated in that matchup. It's not as good as people think it is. 
Um, so, yeah. Like, if you bracket the questing adventure, but you don't deal with the questing adventure, you're gonna lose. Like, you're still gonna lose, Hat. Like, I don't understand why this, this fixation on bracket good against rogue. It's not actually true. But, whatever. You know? A card that's actually good against rogue for Paladin is Liberum of Justice and Barov and Silas. Yeah. These are the cards that are good against Rogue. You need to yoink their stuff away from them or remove it. You need to rem kill it. You cannot just copy it. You're going to die. They hit first if they develop first. Yeah, I, I don't think that doing what Rogue does but slower is the answer. <laughs> Historically, that has not been good against Rogue. So, yeah, so Paladin is fine. It's one of these classes that, again, it's like Warlock and Warrior, where it's fine. You're just playing at a higher difficulty because you're not playing Rogue or Shaman. Um, and, you know, there's, there, there are other classes like that, like Hunter. Hunter is another class that's, like, Highlander-centric. But it's actually hilarious because if you look at Top Legend, people are not playing Hunter at all. And the people who do, they play this weird... How, you, you must have run into it once or twice, Hat. That beast deck that runs uh, Don't Feed the Animals yeah. and runs uh, Young Dragonhawk or whatever that card is with uh, OTK, with Tundra Rhino and whatever. Like It's this deck that's just AFKs and just buffs things in hand and copies them with the Wild Tamer, the 3-drop, uh, and just OTKs you with like Charge through Rhino. So people are playing that, and that is absolutely garbage. So I don't know what's going on with that deck, but that deck is garbage, and Highlander and Hunter doesn't really need to play garbage decks because it actually has good decks. Highlander Hunter is still good. Obviously, people are not going to, you know, they're going to decide we're not going to recraft our brand before it rotates maybe. Fair enough. But Highlander Hunter is performing really well. It's winning rate actually quite good everywhere, even at like high levels of play, it's pretty good. Uh, so it's completely been able to, you know, shrug off the balance changes. They did affect the power level, but they did it appropriately so, right? So now Highlander Hunter isn't this clear tier one deck that's just good against everything, which is what it was before the patch. No, it's just a good deck. Which is what it was after every single balance patch for the past year and a half. Yeah, so now it's good. And fair enough, you know, Hunter is definitely viable. But there's another thing that's interesting in Hunter, which we noticed, is that Face Hunter is kind of coming back. And it's coming back with a like different build. Like, there's a build on Ladder. It's not very good because it runs garbage, like two Iron Beak Owls. I mean, come on. And, and Jungle Panthers. So we kind Jungle of uh, cleaned up that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we kind of cleaned up that deck. Yeah, it like the thing is that the Face Hunter builds currently on Ladder, the new ones, they drop scavengers ingenuity and they run bad beasts without Wolpertinger. and i'm saying come on we still run Wolpertinger, guys like Wolpertinger scavengers ingenuity is insane especially with like face stalker and stuff so, so you might as well like you have to run that package like iron because what are you doing like it's terrible so we we kind of fixed that kind of build but the the point is that that build has quite a bit of burn like you don't the thing is you no longer fight for the board as aggressively right we don't run initiate we don't run adorable infestation it's not the voracious reader build where we um just develop as many stats as we can 
in the early game and just snowball out of that, out of control. What what this build does is just burn. It's toxic. It's a toxic reinforcement deck. It's a deck that is comfortable hero powering in the early game without developing too many stats. Like you just run uh, undersized minions that just have burn tied into them, like Lepernold and Cobalt Sand Trooper. This deck has Wolf Rider in it. Yes, the Wolf Rider is actually ready to ride in this meta, and and I'll explain why this is happening. The reason is because Evolve Shaman doesn't do anything in the early game, right? It's very passive in the early game. It just sits around, plays a Custodian. It just mainly waits to equip Knuckles, right? So, and if you play an aggressive deck and you put a lot of stats on the board and a lot of bodies on the board, you just get blown out by Bog Spine, Mogul Flesh Shaper, nonsense, right? Sea Giants and stuff like that. But if you, the deck doesn't have life gain, doesn't have great defensive tools, Evolve Shaman. It's pretty vulnerable to aggression. So what this face hunter deck does, it just burns out the opponent. You play Toxic Reinforcements on one, and you just hero power three times against an Evolve Shaman. What does it do? It doesn't get going until turn five. By the time it equips the Box Pinnacles, it can have like 10 life. Like by the time you're like, so even if it gets ahead and makes like a, a random eight drop or whatever, you just go face. And this is what this deck is good at. This variant that even runs knife vendor. The point is we're just going face as hard as we can, as earlier as we can and pressure life totals. So that when, by the time the shaman starts to get going with his nonsense, his life total is too low in order to stabilize. So this variant, this build, is actually quite good against Shaman. It's also good against Rogue for the similar reason that Rogue is, unless you play like an early Edwin, it doesn't really get going early. So if you play Toxic Reinforcement, it's actually very crippling for the Rogue. Like they don't have life gain. They don't have great defensive tools. So you just burn them out. Rogue has always been vulnerable to just getting burned out. And Night Vendor is a card that I really hates to see. And just Wolf Fighter Hero Power on turn 5 is something that the Rogue also doesn't enjoy seeing. And you run ex um, you, you run uh, Explosive Trap. So if the Rogue tries to like lackey you out of the game, you also have an, ha an out for that. So it's a, it's, a, it's a viable option to just circumvent the board. We forget about the board. Rogue and Shaman are too good when it comes to the board, right? So we're going to ignore the board and just go face. And this is what this Fate Hunter deck is trying to do. And it's actually pretty promising. It's performing in a, a pretty promising le level without running Wolpetinger and Scavenger's Ingenuity, which is clearly wrong not to run them, and running trash like Jungle Panther. So we fix, we tweaked this, this build, and honestly, we expect this deck to be really, really good uh, after the tweaks and the changes that we've made. So Fate Hunter is definitely viable. Um, the, point, the, the question is, to, to what extent? How good is, can it be? How good can it do in the Rogue and Shaman matchups? If it can actually beat both, it might be like a sneaky meta-breaker thing. Not a big meta-breaker, right? Because obviously it's going to be vulnerable to like Warrior. Uh, but it probably stomps Warlock. Oh, it utterly destroys Warlock, right? Because you just burn them out. They have no life gain. No life gain is enough to deal with that. And it's already a class that very near... Um, weak to like when its life total is pressured. So Face Hunter could be very good in this meta. It could be. And yeah, I like that against Shaman, we don't develop into Mogu or Sea Giant at all. Like we just kind of play a couple minions and then just hit them. Yeah, and by turn five, they play they play uh, Box Spine uh, Dread Corsair. Well, good luck, friend. You have 10 life. Th this is kind of what happens. So um, 
it can work. It can definitely work. Yeah. Um, well, we've got a few. Uh, we've got two more classes here now. Highlander Mage has surprisingly also picked up in win rate a bit by adding more ten drops. I mean, it's not. It's not, it's not the reason why it, it's doing. It's doing well. It's just the build is good enough. Like has enough defensive tools. Uh, to do well against both Shaman and Rogue. Now, you're not beating them. You're just forcing 50-50 matchups. A lot of these decks are just viable and competitive because they just don't hard lose to Shaman and Rogue. And Highlander Mage is a good example of that. Uh, I would never call it like a meta-breaking deck, right? Because it has its matchup issues. Like, Warlock is a problem. Honestly, Ticketus is a, is a card that's really powerful in like control mirrors it's just insane and if you're playing like galakon warlock into any other slow deck then ticketus is going to do a lot of work we see it in priest we see it in mage too but yeah highlander mage matchup spread is quite impressive um it, it it can force those even matchups against rogue and shaman it does well against warrior it does well against paladin it does fine against demon hunter too uh, so it definitely is kind of a sleep, a little bit of a sleeper. Um, not a deck that's going to shape the meta or change the meta, but it's a deck that allows Mage to survive and, and be competitive, even though the situation is what it is. So you can definitely take that deck. Don't be scared of the fact that it runs four 10 drops, uh, one of them being Cthune. It, it works. And the Cthune is important in the late game matchups, like Priest. Something like Priest, if you don't run Cthulhu, you're going to have an issue. But it, Cthulhu just makes that matchup very, very easy. Uh, or a lot easier. And there's not much else to say in Mage, but it might be a thing. Yeah, other Mage decks are trash. Other Mage decks are trash. Just don't. don't. We, we have them in the report as, you know, because they see play and we're polite. We're going to put them in the, in the report, but they're not good. So if you want to play if you want to play mage and ladder and and stay competitive and not want to tear your the hair out of your head then just play high on the mage it's a, it's a fine deck um the one class that I think is just struggling all around and is not doesn't really have a good reason to see play is uh clown druid is druid right and clown druid is the primary archetype for that class the only one that looks remotely playable and the reason why druid is just not so good um, and in, I wouldn't even consider it to be competitive is because it fails to do what other classes have succeeded in doing. You see Paladin and manages to force an even matchup against Shaman. You see Mage manages to force an even matchup against both Rogue and Shaman. You see Priest managing to do the same. Druid can't do it. It cannot do it. Like, no matter how you build Clown Druid, even if you build Guardian Animals, which is pretty much the only way to go, because you need that board swing through Lake Thresher and Guardian Animals. Even if you do that, you still lose to Shaman and Rogue. You lose to both. Like, don't let anyone can tell you that this build is even against Shaman and Rogue. It isn't. You still lose those matchups. So the fact that Ro uh, Druid can, you know, build its deck as optimally as it can, as best as it can, in those matchups and still loses them, is pretty much dooming the class. So I think you can play any other class in the game and you can kind of do well with it. You can do well with Mage. On ladder, you can do well with Warlock on matter. With Druid, you're going to have to be a little lucky on top of that. So I, I just think Druid just doesn't ha really have a place. 
But Zach, Blastoise hit rank 3 legend with Highlander Druid. Clearly that deck is good, right? Yeah, clearly Highlander Druid is good because, yeah. Highlander Druid? Number, somebody hit... No, didn't Blastoise hit number one legend or was it somebody else? McBannerface... I mean, multiple uh, players. Yeah, multiple yeah. players have hit number one legend with Highlander Druid over the past month or so. Uh, but this deck is absolute trash. Like, McBannerface was queuing with it on one while saying how bad it was. Yeah. It's, it's a waste of time. Conjured is the only way to go. and It's not even that good of a deck. So I, I think I think Druid has a great chance of looking a lot better after balance changes. So it's not like it needs buffs. I think it's the, the clown strategy is definitely can be a, a viable late game strategy. Um that can definitely stake a claim in the post-patch meta, in a post-patch meta, but not right now. Not when Shaman is this powerful. It's just too much of a... There's too much board pressure coming from the Shaman in the mid-game for the Druid to consistently beat. And that's all 10. That's everything. I, I will say I'm kind of pleasantly surprised by how many developments in the middling classes are happening, but it's all because of the badly warped meta, and some very, very clear targets. I mean, you see stuff, like, I, honestly, I think the Face Hunter is the most interesting development, and I honestly think that deck is, could be, like, the closest thing to a, 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 maybe a way to shape up. But the, the problem is that players at high levels of play are, very, are not likely to start playing Face Hunter, right? So even if that deck is good, it might affect low, lower levels of play, but I don't think that even if it's good, that people at higher levels will actually pick up on that deck because they just hate playing Face Hunter. So, but the thing is, all of these developments are just influenced by, like, look at this entire conversation during this entire podcast. Like, literally every deck, I'm talking about how it can do against Rogan Shen. I'm literally talking about nothing else but this class's ability to match up it against Rogan Shen. Every card choice that we're working on, every deck that we present, keeps those matchups in mind, and almost nothing else. There's almost no other consideration. It's like, how does this do against Rogan Shaman? Is this card good in those matchups? Yeah, it goes in. It's bad. It goes out. Is this deck can this deck do anything in these matchups? No, it's just dumpster. Forget about it. Can it force 50-50 matchups? Can this deck not get rolled over by Rogan Shaman? It actually has a chance. So, like, obviously, when we're discussing developments and we're trying to bring out the best in every class, you're going to see some stuff. And, yeah, classes are not dead hat. You can actually play them and have some success with them. But under what circumstances? Under these circumstances where everything needs to worry about two decks that are just that much better and that much more powerful and more consistent, and all the other decks are just fighting off for scraps, it feels like. Like, trying, oh, oh, don't kill me that mu- that easily, Mr. Rogue or Mr. Shaman, right? It's all about how do we survive under the oppression. So there is oppression. The meta is completely warped and busted as hell. But you can live under these circumstances in some capacity if you want to play at a higher difficulty. As I said, easy is Rogue Shaman. Play those, those are easy difficulty. Then I would put like Warrior, uh, Paladin, something like that in the middle difficulty. And then we have the higher difficulty decks. 
not because they're higher, they're more difficult to play, right? But because they're just more situational and they're just weaker overall. So that's the situation that we're in. And hopefully it will change next week. Though, as I said, I'm not that optimistic about balance changes happening next week. I'm praying, Hat. I think I think I I when it comes to discoveries for this meta, I think we did what we could uh, for this report. But I'm not sure that we're gonna have more news or more interesting news next week. We will, but not to the extent of like, oh, Shaman has fallen from its throne. Or Rogue is suddenly struggling. It's not happening. It's a question of what is happening behind the eclipse that those two classes are calling. Like, what is happening in the shadows or maybe churning beneath the surface. But the story of this meta is going to remain the same. That The headlines aren't changing unless there's a balance patch. Now, we're, we're hopeful for it. There's also likely the mini set is in under three weeks. We're expecting Tuesday the 19th. That's not confirmed, but that seems likely, given what we know so far. And I imagine that means we'll get reveals next week or the week after. We'll, we'll see if that timeline is confirmed. Hopefully that also breathes some life into the meta, but without some kind of balance change, it's still going to be hard for those cards to make an impact. And if they do, that means they're likely pretty unhealthy. Yeah, I think that without balance changes, I honestly don't think a mid expansion set is gonna make, you know, it's gonna make a big difference because Evolve Shaman is a deck that just like it's a turn five clock. It just, it's just so much pressure. Like it's very hard. Like what are you gonna print that can even compete with the with what it does? Like it's insane. Like I'm I'm talking about. Galakron Warlock, a deck like this is the best example. A deck with infinite removal. Runs two Cobalt Sticky Fingers, and it's not a hard counter to Evolve Shaman. So what the hell are you going to print? Like, if you want that mid-set to succeed and actually influence the meta, you have to nerf Shaman and Rogue. And Rogue is like, like not even targetable. You can't do anything. <laughs> you just hope that the Edwin doesn't come fast enough or the questing adventure doesn't come in fast enough or that they somehow run out of cards at some point on turn 17 like that's that's pretty much it like if they don't make balance changes before the set that set is gonna fail so i fully expect balance changes the question is you know how soon are gonna they're gonna happen are they gonna make me suffer through another report for this meta or not that's it and I think that'll wind us down. So, Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. No matter what happens, we'll be back for the podcast next Friday on the 8th. Yeah, if there are balance changes, this the next podcast will be about the early impressions of the balance changes. And if they're not, we're going to have more Shaman and Rogue token. This is not good advertising, actually, for the podcast hat. Guys, please, Team 5, please make balance changes. Please. If there are no nerfs next week, I will ask Zacho about the endings of Cyberpunk 2077. We'll talk about that on the stream. Yeah. Good game, by the way. On PC, not on console. Yes, on PC specifically. Um, yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, everyone, that's supporting the show through Vicious Syndicate Gold and Patreon and, uh, and all the new subs. We've had a really, really awesome year last year, and we're hoping for, uh, for more. So and let's look forward to the next uh, 
podcast on Friday. It will record it on Friday the 8th, release it on Saturday the 9th. Uh, we're hopeful that we won't have a report for you on Thursday the 7th, but it's planned right now unless there are changes. Big thanks to Steven Sensei for intro and outro as always, and we'll talk to you next week. The Data Reaper Podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers. <laughs>